church, hold to God's unchanging hand. Today, let's, uh, this is it, not in your hymn book, and uh, so let's worship the Lord together as we sing this old hymn.
prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you, Lord, today in spirit and in truth. Lord, today we come before you today. Lord, we worship you. We welcome you in this place, God, today. We have felt your presence this morning. God, you know those that are not here for whatever reason it may be. You can be with them right now. God, we are here today, and we are in your presence. So, God, we take this time, we set it aside to consecrate ourselves to worship you today. God, inhabit the praises of your people. Let us experience you in such a powerful way. In Christ's holy and precious name, we pray and ask all these things. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Amen. We're going to switch gears here on you. We're going to skip the next song and go right into You Are Awesome in this place. I want us to have a time of worship tonight. I just want us to think about some of these songs you may already know, some of them you may not, but we're just going to spend a few moments with the Lord and just worship Him today. For you are awesome in this place, mighty God.
Well, Jesus, all we need. Oh, do you believe that's the only name you need? Is it the name of Jesus, all we need? He's the way, the truth, the life, the only way to God. Is it the name of Jesus, all we need? Oh, let's sing, is it the name of Jesus, all we need? Is it the name of Jesus, all we need? The only name you need tonight is the name of Jesus. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Christ the Lord. Because we know that, that of that name, we can sing this together. It's a prayer of faith, and we know that the Lord is with us tonight. We're going to ask you to sing this old chorus of the church. Many of you have probably sang this a long time, but you'll remember it. For God is so
presence of the Lord if you can tonight. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 18. We'll also be in James chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter 18 as well as James chapter 3. Amen. Don't forget, you still can give Online, you can give in house, you can 
um, subscribe to our podcast and things like that and listen to the sermons each and every week. Uh, or go to our website, santiacirclecog.org, for more information regarding our church. I know it may be small in number tonight, and I know some are not here for being sick or various reasons, but I do believe that if you really listen to the message tonight, if you really take heart to what's going to be spoken, uh, I definitely think that it can be transformational for our church for this reason. Because the Bible said where two or three agree together is touching any one thing, Christ is in the midst. And and Jesus took 12 men, really 11, because one of them kind of decided to go his own way. He took 11 men and he, he flipped the entire world upside down. I mean, literally, the entire Christian faith was basically birthed out of 11 guys following Jesus around. They followed him so closely. And uh, I believe that tonight we could hear the word of the Lord. If we listen to what the word of the Lord is saying to us, it would be transformational for us. If you have that, Jane, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 18, if you'll stand, Proverbs 18, 21, for the reading of God's word, and then we'll be in James 3 and 10. I quoted one of these scriptures this morning in the message uh, just as a reference, but I'm going to use that as a text tonight. In Proverbs 18 and 21 and James 3 and 10. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love of it shall eat of the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words, they're powerful. They that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Here's what James said. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. But my brethren, these things ought not be so. For some translations will say these things shouldn't happen. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursings. But he said you can't do it both ways. You either bless them or you curse them. But you shouldn't be doing both at the same time. And I am afraid that we are living in a day and an hour where there's a lot more cursing going on than a lot more blessings going on. No, I'm not talking about just straight profanity of using profane words or taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I, though I hear a lot of profane words throughout society. I hear them on walking in Walmart. I hear them walking in the restaurant. You hear them. They can't even carry on a casual conversation without using them. It's like that's, you know, I told somebody not too long ago, I said they really need a dictionary. They need to learn some new words. Because obviously their vocabulary is very limited because they can't think of anything else better to describe what they're trying to describe to me. But I hear not just, I'm not talking about just those words, but I hear a lot of negativity. I hear a lot of cursing going on. And I'm not talking about profane words. I'm talking about speaking, if you will, prophetically negative things over people. You're, you know, I've, heard, I've heard parents in restaurants and things like that speak things to their children, say things they shouldn't say to their children. And if the Lord would help me tonight, I want to talk about four things or four horns that will stop the blessings of God in your life. Now, I'm sure you could come up with many, but I there's four specific things I want to talk to you tonight that if you allow these to interfere, and I, and I picked that ram for a reason, because a ram is bullheaded. They'll put their head down and they'll just keep ramming over and over and over again until either they break their own horns or they break whatever it is they're trying to knock over, but they will not stop till they basically render themselves unconscious with a concussion. They just keep ramming things over and over again. And that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to come into our lives and ram us over and over and over again to stop the blessings of God in our lives. And if we as a church want to grow, not just numerically, but spiritually, and see sons and daughters come to the faith and have our church be a spiritual 
uh, last day church to minister to this dark and dying world, we have got to stop letting the blessings of God be taken from us through the works of the enemy. Father, I pray you would bless the reading of the word. Pray you would bless not only the hearers but the doers thereof. Lord, those joining us online, we welcome them. Lord, those that are not here for whatever reason, we pray for them. And those that are in-house, Lord, we bless them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask these things in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church together said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Those of you joining online, we welcome you. Can we just welcome with a hand clap of welcome to our online visitors tonight? Thank you for joining us. Four horns that stop spiritual blessings or stop your blessing. See, I go to restaurants and I go to Walmart, just like the rest of you, and I hear people talk. And when I talk about people using, you know, using uh, cursing and instead of blessings, I'm not just talking about saying curse words. But I've heard parents, I've heard parents in public, I've heard parents in, in, even in private settings being at their house, I've heard things like this. Oh, don't mind them, that's just my dumb child. You're speaking that over their life. Out of the mouth comes blessings and cursings. These things ought not be so. That's my dumb child. I've heard parents say to things like, you're stupid. Why do you have to be so stupid? What a gut-wrenching statement. Stupid. Miss Sandy, if you don't mind, will you turn this microphone down just a smidge on the, on the board, or, or Madison, if you want to look, whichever one, just right there it says headset. Just bring the fader down probably just a little bit. I just don't want to blare them out when I get excited here in a minute. Uh, I, I know some of them haven't, don't have hearing aids yet, but I, I don't want them to have to speed up the process to get them to be able to hear me by blowing them. Uh, to, thank you. That's much better. So I hear people talk, and I hear people go around, and I hear them say these things over their children, grandchildren. I've, heard, I've just heard people say, and they're speaking over these things, things that ought not be so. They'll say things. They have heard spouses say it to each other. Oh, you know, that's just how he is. You know, he's dumb like that. Oh, you know she's just not all there. Oh, you know she's a, you know, she's a little flighty. You know, you can't mind the wife. You know, she's a little flighty. What are, what, what are we doing? And people, I have learned, they'll, they'll mask it as a joke. But behind every joke, there's sometimes a little bit of truth in it. And I've heard people use joking things to put down other people. I was just joking. No, you were trying to tear them down. You weren't joking. You might have made it look like a joke, but the intent was to cause damage. You know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, don't mind her. The wife, you know how she is. She's a little flighty. You shouldn't say that about her. Even if you think that, the world doesn't need to know that because you're now putting in their mind that, that there is something wrong with your spouse. You should never speak like that about your children, your spouse, your family. I've often told people and in counseling sessions as well as just in casual conversations. Don't make private matters public no notice. Don't make your private matters public notice. Nobody needs to know what goes on in the privacy of your own home. I've done you one of the greatest, uh, greatest uh, advancements, if you will, of the, the sin of gossip is social media. It has made... The ability to gossip about people, and we tried to mask it as, well, we're really not gossiping about people, so it's not a sin. If you put it out there and you have the intent in your mind that it's about somebody else, and you're out there saying, well, you know who you are, and if you're going to talk to my child like this, you don't have to say it. You're gossiping digitally on social media. That's what you're doing. It's still just a sin as if it was on the telephone. It's the same thing. 
And the reality of it is, we have got now these different mediums of social media and other platforms that makes it easier to gossip and sin about people. You know how people are. You know something's going on in their life and then they mysteriously, after something happens, shares a post. They don't call out any names, but you know exactly what they're talking about. They're hashtagging things and they're putting things in your thing. And wait a minute, what do you mean you're, ha what are you doing? That's not how the story went. You've seen people, they, they put on an image to the world, but then on social media they put in a different image in the world. But behind closed doors, they, you know good and well they don't do what they're presenting on social media. You know they're not who they say they are. See, the tongue is powerful. In fact, the tongue is the most powerful muscle and object known to mankind. It can build up relationships. It can share blessings. It can show love. It can lavish praise. It can give honor. But yet in the very fleetingness of a breath can destroy a family, lie, curse, destroy relationships, and do more damage than all the good that it took its entire life to build up in the same breath. For an example, I won't bring her up here because Brandon would be mortally embarrassed to be in front of all you right now. But obviously many of you know July 3rd uh, that uh, in, in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, I proposed to Brianna, and, and she so graciously, after checking my life insurance policy, said yes. And um, she didn't check it, but she did ask if I have one. <laughs> just kidding. Um, it's kind of scary because nurses know how to take you out legally, and you won't know because they can just stick a little IV in you, and you never know what happened to you. So if I go missing, call her first. Uh, yeah, yeah, call the cops. Uh, no, but seriously, she said yes. And I've, went, I've spent my last year and a half doing everything I can to get her to come through that, if you will, um, realization that, uh, that she means that much to me and I want to spend. But if I brought her up here tonight and I took the ring off her finger and I grabbed it and I said, you know what, I don't even want to look at you anymore. You disgust me. I don't want to be married to you. Do you think that year and a half meant much of anything at this point? One sentence. One statement of facts. I only said one thing. I was a year and a half. Oh, I love you. You're the best thing in the world. You're going to be, you're going to be a great addition to our, my ministry. I just, I, I can't, I, you know, I love it when you come hang out with me. You fit so well in my family. I spent a year and a half building it up. And in one breath, I could take it all just like that, all away, in one sentence. And you know what I've learned? A lot of people don't come to church because of that too. One thing happened in church. That church was good for 30 years to them, but one person said the wrong thing. One person looked at them the wrong way. Now, I'm, 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 I'm going to be careful here. I understand some people are sensitive. Don't get me wrong. You say, well, Pastor, some people are just too sensitive. I agree. But also there are some people that are too heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Sometimes they do more damage to the kingdom because they don't know how to have common sense. I'm not saying that there aren't some people that are sensitive, but I am going to tell you that everybody says they're a saint. I ain't always acting saintly. Okay? Because I have been in churches. I have seen this happen. Now, Brother Gill and Sister Sybil has decided to help the pastor out and play musical chairs. So if they're missing, I'm not going to know if they're here in church because everybody's moving seats again. So I can't go through my seats and know where everybody sits anymore. But let's use this for an example. Now, these folks that, uh, that are, I'm about to describe to you are not like this at all. But let's just say next Sunday morning, Brother and Sister Barnes show up. Sister Barnes, Brother Barnes is not like that at all. I've seen him multiple times sit. Somebody was there in multiple places in this sanctuary. But if Sister Barnes walked up Sunday morning, they happened to be here first, and she looks at them and goes, I mean, why are y'all in my seat? There's plenty of seats. Would y'all please go somewhere else? 
Now, while they might say, as fine folks as they are, yes, you think that was a really nice thing to do? Really nice thing to say? No. No. Now, they might politely say, hey, do you mind if we sit beside you? That, you know, same pew, can, you know, can we sit on the pew with you? Sure. Or they might sit in the pew behind. But there's so many things that happen in church. There's a lot of people, they went to church, but the reason they don't go to church now is because of the church. It wasn't the world that hurt them. It wasn't the world that messed them up. In fact, the world has their arms wide open begging them to come. Come to the bar with me. Come to this sinful state with me. Come. The world would love to have them with them. But we as the church, we, are, we want us, we say, oh, we're a warming church, we're a welcoming church. That's all well and good. And then when they get here, when we hurt them, we send them packing right back to the world. We gave them a fast ticket right out of here. People say things. The Bible says that, that the tongue is so powerful that it, it has so much ability to destroy everything it works for. I think I have. Now, this is just my personal opinion. You don't have to agree with the preacher. In fact, I, you know, it's really okay if you don't agree with the preacher on this statement because next Sunday you can more than welcome preach and preach your version. And then I can sit down and critique how, you like the, how I like the sermon. See, it's hard being a preacher because you have 40 people that are critiquing one message, and I don't get to critique it like that. So I want to flip roles. I think I'm going to start letting everyone take a turn so I can sit in the audience and critique things. I think it would be a lot of fun, except no, half of you probably would not do it. So it wouldn't be as fun anymore. But the reality of it is, I, have, I think, I think, I have found the greatest lie ever in history. And I bet you know it, you just don't realize you know it. Some people might say the greatest lie was the lie in the Garden of Eden that destroyed humanity. When Satan told Eve, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? And he lied to them and convinced them to eat the fruit. Maybe. You know, some people might say the greatest lie is lying to, you know, to God. That is, that is pretty bad. Yes. And, I, and, I'm, and the lie I'm about to give you is not necessarily a spiritual. I'm talking about physically speaking. I don't think the greatest lie is if your wife asks you, do I look fat in this dress? And you say, mm, no, you look great, babe, even though you know she does look fat in that dress. I don't think that's the greatest lie. In fact, I think here I am going to tell you what I personally believe is the greatest physical humanity the physical lie humanity has told itself for years and years and years. And see if you know it. I'm going to start and see if anybody can finish it. This is the greatest lie you'll ever be told. Sticks and stones may break my bones. That is a lie from hell. I can throw a stick and a stone, but your wounds will recover. Your broken arm, you can set it and get it to recover. Your scraped knee, you can put Neosporin and a bandage on it and get it to recover. Sometimes words do not so easily get recovered. Sometimes it never is that simple. Sometimes those words literally have life-altering effects on the people that it was spoken over. So that sticks and stones that may break your bones, but that words will never harm you. That is just to try to convince yourself you're okay. But let's just all take off the blinders today. We know that's a lie because words do hurt. That's why people are the way they are. That's why they don't come to church. That's why they quit the job. That's why they call out sick from work and don't want to come back. That's why they get stressed. That's why depression hits. That's why oppression hits because words, somebody said something and it hurt them deeply. I've often thought about the story of Christ when he died on the cross. I wonder, you know, did the nails hurt? 
Yes. Did the beating hurt? Yes. But again, my personal opinion, do you 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 know what I think hurt Jesus more than anything else? Is the world a week earlier saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And six days later, so about five days later, that same church looks and says, crucify him. We don't want nothing to do with that man. I think that would have hurt worse than the nails in his eyes. A man that's willing to give it all and is looked on with disgust. You know, that's what I think might have destroyed the heart of God. Men that for three and a half years, Brother Randy, ate with him, slept with him, dined with him, went everywhere with him. I mean, you're talking 12 men that they lived their life with this man. They saw dead people raised. They saw blinded eyes open. They saw deaf ears open. They saw lame to walk, dumb to speak. They had saw it all. They had heard Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of In fact, they were the ones taking their coats off, laying them in the streets. But in the garden of Gethsemane, guess where they are? Running. They desert him. They abandon him. It would be bad enough, Brother Robert, that they abandon him. But it gets worse when they get asked about him. Because Peter is too nosy with John. He has to see what's going to happen. So Peter sneaks into the royal courtyard. And he's warming himself by a fire. He's already ran. He cut off the guy's ear and Jesus told him to put the sword away. So then he takes off running with, for fear. He sneaks himself in. If, if deserting him was not bad enough. When they ask him, hey, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you one of those guys that follow Jesus? It would be like somebody walking to you on the job. Or a brother Robert's recently retired. Maybe it's just somebody who knows you in town. They walk up to you and say, hey, aren't, hey you're a Christian, right? You go to Santee Circle Church of God, right? You know Jesus, right? When they asked Peter that, you know what he said? Oh, no, that ain't me. I don't know that man. A man that had for three and a half years walked everywhere God had been. You talk about an experience. He tangibly walked with God face to face for three and a half years. And when he had the opportunity to take a stand for his faith, he goes, no, nah, that ain't for me. That's not for me. Why? I don't know. But you know what? They gave him a second chance. Another person walked by. Hey, I'm pretty sure I've seen you before. Aren't you one of those Christians? Even though he screwed it up the first time, here's his second chance. You know what he did? <laughs> I don't know that man. Strike two. Now, I'm a big baseball fan. And uh, you, uh, those of you that know anything about baseball, uh, you swing and miss the first pitch, you got two more to play with. You swing and miss the second pitch. But there, if you swing and miss on the third one, you're out. Game over. Sit the bench. You're done. Next batter. Brother Randy, he got a third chance. He screwed up swing number one and swing number two and yet got another chance. Girl comes up, servant girl, I, I promise, I think I've seen you. I think you're one of those Christian people. I think you're one of those Church of God people. I think you're one of those people that go, I think I know you. And the Bible said he curses God. He don't even just announce it this time. He uses a curse word. And it's like, Blake, I don't know the man. That's pretty low. A saved, sanctified, just man of God for the last three and a half years. You know, 
see, what you got to understand about Peter, Peter is only one of two other, three other men, or two other men, along with him, three, that saw every miracle Jesus did. Now, the other, you know, nine, eight or nine of them saw a lot of them, but there are quite a few miracles only Peter, James, and John got to go and see. He had seen not some. Peter had seen every miracle Jesus did. In fact, Peter's mother-in-law was dying, and Jesus stopped by their house on the way to another appointment and said, Yes, I know i got to be at dinner at 6 o'clock. Yes, I know i got somewhere to be. But Peter, I'll stop by your house long enough to pray for your mother-in-law. And he healed his own mother-in-law. Now, you know that had to be God because ain't nobody want their mother-in-law to survive. Come on, y'all know I'm preaching better than you're shouting today. Ain't nobody going to send their mother-in-law and be like, Oh, Jesus, please pray that she's healed in Jesus' name. You're probably like, Lord, let her be saved and take her on in glory. I'm just speaking. But the point to be made, Peter had seen it all. He stands at this courtyard. He curses God. He cursed God. A man that was a man of faith cursed God. It's so easy to judge Peter. Now, I'm not saying we've ever cursed God, but, boy, how many Christians have started out on that right way? They're doing the good thing. They're on their journey. They're living by faith. They're doing it all. Things in life go sideways, and they lose their faith. They lose their joy. They lose their way, if you will, and they basically turn their back, metaphorically, on God. A man that had seen it all, he had experienced it all, and yet here he is. Standing in a depressed state of mind. Says, I don't even know this man. I don't know anything about him. You see, the Bible says one of the hardest things to tame is the tongue. It can speak blessings in life or curses in death. Not only over our physical lives, but our spiritual lives as well. In fact, it can serve as the enemy's greatest tool... And it can be the thing that destroys everything that God has worked for. But it also, if used properly, can destroy everything that the devil has worked for. It can do both and, depending on how you use it. I personally believe there are many ways, but there are four things I want to quickly hit about how you stop the blessings of God. One of those ways is what I call the spirit of lack. This is... If I, were, if I were to use a metaphorical and describing the attack, I would use this as, as, a, as the horn or the ram hitting you on the side, one side or the other. Right along the sides right here, under your rib cage and, and before you get to your back on this side, there's a tender section right in here. Oftentimes people will call them the proverbial kidney punches. They're right in those little sides back here. And if hit just right, whoo, those things hurt, you know. Football players, man, you take a helmet to the side right there, man, that thing hurts. That's the only place the pad ain't really padding. It don't feel too good. Hurts. A lack of padding, so it hurts. See, I believe we live in a day and an hour in a spiritual sense that we're living in a day and hour where the church acts like we're lacking stuff. We walk around already defeated like we're hopeless. We're walking around, we see what's going on on the news, we see what's going on and in Washington, we see what's going on in the government. We see what's going on at churches across town. We see what's going on here and there and everywhere. And we're so focused on everywhere else, we're getting discouraged by looking at everybody else. Instead of focusing on what God's promised us, we're worried about how everybody else is being affected. See, I believe that this spirit the enemy uses does things like this. 
It will whisper into your heart, into your lives. You're not qualified. You're not good enough. You don't have the necessary skill set. And you don't have the necessary... You're not qualified. God can't use you. God can't bless you. Do you know what you've done in your life? How can... Yeah, you say you're a Christian. But how can you get up there and teach a Sunday school class? Or how can you join the praise team? You can't do that. you got too much baggage in your life. You can't do that. That spirit of lack wants to tell you that God has limited your abilities. He has not given you what you need. He wants to speak negativity in your life. You see, many folks allow themselves to be used to the devil's plans as an aid to the devil's plans by speaking negative things because people will come along and I've heard it in church. True story. I had the esteemed opportunity and privilege one time to be a youth pastor. Dumbest decision of my life. That's a joke, y'all. That's a joke. I was just kidding. But I never want to be one again. Lock-ins are not made for me anymore. Only thing I like to do, only thing I like to be locked in for is locked in my bedroom and going to sleep. That's what I like to be locked in for. I like to be locked in like that. But we at one time when I was serving as a youth pastor, and I'm not going to tell you the where, the location. But I had we had put together a a youth praise and worship band team. Now I still had to play, but we had a couple guys that were in the youth that could play, and and we put a praise and worship team together. And, and we had talked to the minister of music at the church, and we had decided we would like to one Sunday uh, lead the church in worship. I thought it would be good for the church to see the youth worshiping the Lord and, and encourage the church. And so we had them all. They came to rehearsals. They came to everything. Now, there was this one girl. She was as sweet as could be. Had a heart of gold. She was not the most eloquent of singers. I will give them that. She did struggle a little bit with pitch and tonality. She wasn't awful, but she, you know, she wasn't going to sing the lead solo and be the best singer. But she wanted to sing so bad. And she got up on stage, and we were doing all our sound checks. And when it came time to have service that night, or that day, we all lined up on the stage, and the sound guy was right there. And I noticed somebody was talking to the sound guy, but I didn't know until after service what he had said. But someone prior to service went back to the sound guy and said the following words. And I'm just going to call her name jo, uh, Jane so that for purpose of anonymity. He said, now you know Jane ain't that good of a singer. So when they start singing, just mute her mic. Let her think she's singing, but let, make sure nobody hears her actually sing. Let her stand on stage and think she's singing, but make sure nobody actually hears her sing. What I didn't know is Jane's mom and daddy sat in front of the sound booth. They heard it. My daughter's not good enough. Young girl got hurt. She got upset. I tried to talk to that family. I tried to keep them in church. It's no avail. Because someone spoke negativity over her life, made her feel like she was lacking something. You don't have enough talent for God to be used by him. When I found out about that, you, you might have been sad. You might want to cry. I was mad. <laughs> you can cry. I'm mad. <laughs> In fact, I only cry for two things. One, when a real sappy situation happens in a movie like Lion King, Mufasa dies, or someone, you know, something like that. I cry at like sappy moments in life. Or if I'm mad. 
When I'm really mad, two things happen. Either one, I get really quiet, and I mean really quiet. If I'm not happy and talking in the life of the party, there's something wrong. I'm mad, or something's wrong. But if I ever get to the point that I'm crying, you know I'm real mad. It'd be best for this moment for you and Jesus to go have a little talk with Jesus out under the shed and don't come talk to me for a few minutes because Jesus and I need to have a talk before I come talk to you because it's going to be bad. I was mad. I was so mad. Because that girl thought she was giving everything she had. The Bible said make a joyful note to her. She thought she was giving him everything she had and one person destroyed her life in one statement. Turn her off. Make her think she's single. But I wonder how many people in life have had that spoke over their lives. I'm not talking about just in church. I mean, that's an example of church hurt. But have had someone just basically, you're not good enough. You're not talented enough. God can't use you. You're not the best. But you know what? God says something different. God, the Bible says God speaks life. In fact, one translation uh, in the Bible and one scripture in Psalm says that God sings over us. What a beautiful picture. God's singing over his children. Psalms 50 and 10, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Haggai 2 and 9, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. There is nothing God lacks. So anytime the devil tells you God can't use you, God can't qualify you, God can't bless you, every time the devil says you'll never have it, there's never enough, God's not going to bless you, you remind him you don't serve any God. You serve God, Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. If I need a miracle, he's a provider. If I need money, he's a cattle on a thousand hills provider. If I need my home restored, he's a marriage mender. Whatever I have need of, I serve a God who lacks nothing and has unlimited resources at his disposal. I serve a God who lacks nothing. The Bible says that we have been called to a greater inheritance than the angels have. We can be assured that if God takes thought of the birds of the air, how much more does he care about me and you? The Bible says, Jesus said, for the birds of the air, they... They take no thought of food. Look at the tulips and the flowers, how they toil and spin, yet, yet Solomon in all of his splendor and glory, they're not arrayed like one of these. And the birds get up early in the morning and they fly and God just provides, provides. And if God will provide raiment and food and nourishment for a bird, and he will kiss with his creativity and his breath the most beautiful flowers of all, Jesus says, how much more so will your heavenly Father take thought of you? Of you. If the birds aren't worried about it, why are we worried about it? God's not lacking anything. He has all power. I'm reminded of the story of Moses. Moses is one of my favorite guys in the Bible. Partially because maybe I can relate to Moses and, 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 and you know, can understand his dilemma. But other reason I like Moses is because Moses lets me know real quick that God can use just about anything. I mean, Moses was the epitome of humanity and God using humanity in its fullest. I mean, Moses was a pretty rough character. Let's just go ahead and take a little quick journey. And we'll pick up part two here next weekend, uh, next Sunday night, we'll, as a part of this, this on Sunday night. But let me just quickly give you a little bit of Moses' story. Uh, Moses was a basket case. So whenever you feel like you're being a basket case, don't worry about it. Moses was the very first basket case in the Bible. Literally, basket case. 
Moses was born in a time of what is called the Egyptian purge. The Pharaoh had come up with a grandiose plan that the Israelites were having a little much too much free time on their hands. And since they had enough free time to make babies, they needed to work harder. So he decided that he was going to make their load harder instead of letting them make children because they were, spit, they were spitting out children at an alarming rate. And some of his wise advisors said, if you keep letting them have babies like this, eventually they're going to have enough people to make an army, and they're going to overthrow us, and we're in trouble. So we're going to have to, like, purge and kind of do a de-cleansing or a, 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 a detox of this society. And so uh, Pharaoh comes up with this plan. If they're girls, ladies, y'all are good. You're fine. Some of my young strapping Egyptian men might want to marry you. We'll let you live. But all you men in the building, uh, we in trouble. Because if we are born and we are two years or less and we are in that baby stage, uh, Pharaoh's uh, solution was go kill all the men. Just, just As soon as they come out the womb, as soon as you see that that's a man, whoosh, you kill him right now. Throw him in the Nile River, stab him, do whatever you got, just kill all the babies. Now before I finish Moses' story, isn't that what we try to pass in our society today called late-term abortion? As soon as they come out, kill them. So I ain't got to deal with them. Purge the society. Cleanse the society. Help us not have to. Let us detox. Let us, let's euthanize so that we don't have this crazy society like this. As soon as they're born. No chance. Pow. Gone. Moses' mama was a righteous lady. She loved God with all her heart. She was a good woman. In fact, his parents, Amram and Jochebed, Jochebed decided, well, I got two choices. Choice number one. Let them know I'm pregnant. If the midwife comes in to help me deliver the baby, she's going to know it's a boy. If it becomes out a boy, she's going to know there's no way to hide that, and she's going to kill him. That's not a good plan. So her next grandiose plan is while she's still pregnant, she starts learning how to be a basket weaver. And she creates a homemade bassinet out of the Nile River's papyrus and all the, the reeds of the Nile River. Once she gets it all completed, baby Moses is born. Baby Moses is born, and he's not even really been that old yet. I mean, he's, because she's afraid for his life, she's hid him as long as she could. The Bible said when she could no longer hide him, she couldn't conceal him. She stuffs him in this homemade bassinet, puts tar pitch around it to keep it from the water getting in it, and she sneaks him down with his sister to the river, and she pushes her baby in the river. Now, y'all going to tell me if we leave church tonight and we saw someone put their brand new, ba brand new newborn baby in a tail race canal and send it down river, we wouldn't think something wrong with this lady? We'd be calling George, uh, Berkeley County so fast and be like, there's some Looney Tunes lady out here just sent her baby down the tail race canal. But she knew her baby had a death sentence on his head already. The Bible says the steps of a good man or woman are ordered of the Lord. I don't think it's coincidence that that bassinet just happened to float right into the bathing stream current of Pharaoh's daughter. It wasn't that, It wasn't like the, the water just was so coincidental that it just sent it to Pharaoh's daughter. No, that was divinely orchestrated by God because God had a plan. For I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. It was a plan. So he gets to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses. I.e., the name means to be drawn out because she literally picked up the baby out of a bassinet in the water. You can't get much more DoorDash delivery or, you know, you, back in the day, we used to have those little uh, memes or whatever of the stork flying the baby to the front porch. Yeah, you can't get much better delivery. I don't even have to have the baby. They just show up on my front doorstep. Bam, right there. I have a child. Like, it's, it's, it's that simple. She names him Moses. He gets to learn the feet of 
the Egyptian scholars and be in the house of Pharaoh. His mom actually gets paid. When the, if you go back and read the story, his mom gets paid to be his mama. Wouldn't you, mom, wouldn't you mamas in here like to have gotten paid to be mama? Like the government be like, you know what? Because you're a mama, we're going to give you a check for this. Yes, I thank you. I appreciate that. You would have had a whole lot more babies. We'd have had Brady Bunch people around here. We'd have had families of 10, 12, 14. Y'all would have had whole football teams around here if we were going to do that. Because, because she's getting paid. Miriam goes and says, would you like me to fetch a Hebrew woman who knows how to nurse a child and, and can do that? She said, yes. So she goes and gets the mama of the baby and says, hey, um, they're going to pay you money to basically watch your child. And she was like, thank you, Jesus. And she's excited about that. And she gets to nurse her child and be that way. Well, Moses grows up. He grows up with his little half-brothers and sisters and stuff of Pharaoh's court. One day he's out in the field or in the desert and he sees the Egyptians treating some of the Israelites badly. Now, I believe that his mama probably instilled to him the, the, the word of the Lord. There had to be something inside of him that knew something wasn't right. And the Bible said he got angry. He killed the Egyptian man. I mean, he cold caught, knocked that dude, slapped out. Got afraid, got afraid, became afraid, dug a hole, buried him in the sand, and took off running. No warning. No, hey, I miss y'all. Gone. Fled to Midian. He's gone. Whoo, gone. When Pharaoh found out that between the two Egyptian men and the Hebrew men arguing back and forth, when when a Hebrew guys were like, whoa, 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 don't put that on us. That dude named Moses came over here and did that. Pharaoh was mad. He wanted it. Moses dead. No matter if he was a stepson, whatever, he wanted him dead. Her, her grandson wanted him dead. Moses finds himself going from the palace, literally finding himself in a place in the desert. He becomes a shepherd. He meets a guy out there by the name of Jethro. And Jethro has a daughter named Zipporah, and he falls in love, and uh, he gets married, and he's just watching sheep. You know the story. He's sitting out there one day just minding his own business. Some bush over there starts catching fire, but it's not burning. So his curiosity, he walks over there. He's like, yeah, you know. And then a voice comes out the bush, and he's like, whoa, I've been sitting out here with the sheep way too long. I'm hearing voices talking in places they shouldn't be voices. He says, take your shoes off, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. And they go on and on. You know the story. And he does all these. But I love Moses because here's why I believe this enemy will use the spirit of lack. Because Moses... It's a perfect example of what the spirit of light can do if we're not careful. God says, Moses, I've chosen you. Miss Carol makes her way. I've chosen you, Moses, to go deliver the people of Israel. Moses is like, whoa, hold up, God. Wait a minute. Y'all, you don't remember I killed that dude back there? My, by now, my grandfather's probably dead. But that could be like my half-cousin, brother, sister's kid, What it? That's like people that are probably still going to know who I am just because of the situation. I don't think that's a good idea. God said, no, Moses, you're the man. So Moses thought, well, that didn't work. Let me try another thing. Well, God, I'm not a really good, eloquent speaker. I have a little bit of a speech impediment. I have a little, little stutter. How's he going to take me seriously with authority when I, when I can't talk clearly? God said, don't worry about that. Your brother Aaron's on his way. He's quite the speaker. In fact, he is a great statesman, very eloquent with words. He'll go with you. But I'll talk to you. You tell Aaron. Aaron can tell them. But you're still going to talk to me. All right, well, that didn't work. Moses said, well, God, how do I know? I know none of y'all have ever done this before with God. But he said, God, how do I know this is you talking to me? 
Like, what's a sign to let me know that I'm not like schizophrenic talking to a bush? God told him to do various things. Put your hand in your cloak, Moses. Come out leprous. Put your hand back in, Moses. Come out clean. Moses, throw your staff on the ground. Turns into a snake. Right there is when God and I would have had a problem. Because at that moment, I'd have been like, God, I don't care what you're doing. I am not picking it back up. God says, Moses, grab the back of its tail. That's when I'd have been like, God, listen, you better turn it back to a stick before I touch it. I am not picking that joker up by the tail. Just in case I miss the voice of God, I ain't playing with this dude down here. A good snake is a... Thank you. Y'all felt that. This. I know you did. Okay, what color they are? Picks up the snake, goes back to a staff. Moses is like, doggone it. So Moses tries one more time. He said, God, suppose they don't believe me. Suppose when I get to that point that I arrive there, that they look at me and say, who are you to come here and tell us how we should live and how we should. If they ask me, who is this God that sent you? If they look at me, God, and say, in what authority, what voice, what name, who sent you? What am I supposed to say to them? If they point blank ask me that, what am I supposed to say to them? And God, because he's gracious, answered the question. God said, you say to them, Yahweh. Well, if you know anything about Hebrew, they would not spell the name Yahweh. They would abbreviate the name because that was the most sacred and holiest of names of God. They didn't even feel like in their, in their humanity they were even worthy to write the whole name. They abbreviated it because they did not want to, to, to desecrate the reverence of his name. God used the most holiest of names. He said, you tell them Yahweh. Yahweh literal translation means I am who I say I am. I am that I am. I am. We sing it around here sometimes. Well, I think uh, one of the songs, it actually says, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Yeah, I am. Yahweh, I am. What is he? What is he? I am hope. I am joy. I am peace. I am a marriage restorer. I am a financial advisor. I am a savior. I am a redeemer. Whatever you need, I am. That's what he is. Whatever you need, he is. There's something to be said about it. We sang, we sang it tonight. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful, beautiful, powerful? He gives Moses, God gives Moses, he says, you use my name. Don't say you came in your name, Moses. Your name ain't going to get you very far. You use my name. Now, I'm still talking about the spirit of lack because what people fail to realize, they're trying to, too many people in this world are trying to do things in their ability rather than in God's ability. But when you take what's natural and you give it to God, he turns it into something supernatural. In fact, the Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit declares the Lord. I can't do it, but He can. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb, the word of my testimony. I can do all things through Christ. Not I can do all things in my own ability. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in Him. For an example, how many of you have siblings? Grew up with siblings. How many of you have siblings? Some of y'all lying because I know y'all got siblings because I know y'all siblings. Y'all playing with me right now. I know y'all siblings. Anybody here an only child beside a preacher? Am I the only spoiled one in the whole group? Oh, only me? Well, you are too? Spoiled. Like the only child. One child. Oh, Brother Randy and I have a kindred spirit. I knew somebody in here was with the preacher today. That's why we get along so great. We understand these dilemmas. 
So we didn't get this esteemed privilege that I'm about to share with y'all, but all the rest of y'all, Brother Randy and I get a pass, but all the rest of y'all going to feel what I'm about to say right now. It's going to speak to you, to your heart. Did you ever have a time where your mama or your daddy told you to go tell your brother or sister to do something? Hey, go tell them to come on in the house. Go tell them to come over here and get, you know, you know if you had close enough an age. Maybe, maybe, or, or maybe if, if uh, you, your children did this. Maybe you would send your children. Maybe you've seen this done before. You know, you tell your child, hey, look, go tell your brother, come on inside. I got dinner ready. I, I'm, I got my hands in a pot of green beans. I need you to run outside. Tell, tell them to come on inside. I got to eat. Well, little Johnny runs outside. He tells his brother, hey, time to eat. Come inside and get dinner. Johnny's little brother, Jeff, bow, slaps little Johnny and says, shut up, boy. I ain't going inside the house. You ain't going to tell me nothing. Little Johnny runs back inside, goes to mama, he hit me, mama. Go out there and you tell him, get his behind in this house because I want him in this house. It's dark. It's time to go. He's got to get a bath. He's got to get his behind in the house. Okay, mama, I'm going to go. Mama, I'm going to go. He, well, you, you over there quivering your lips. Don't even want to tell Jimmy. Johnny, did you go to eat? But you walk back outside. Hey! Mama said you got to get in the house. She, go, she wants you in the house. It's time to get a bath. Little Johnny's brother, pop! Right there. Get on, boy. You ain't got nothing to say to me. They'd start fighting in the yard. You ain't telling me what to do. Little Johnny walked back in the house. Blood coming out the side of his mouth. Outside of his mouth. Or his nose. Mama, he hit me. He said he ain't coming in the house. He said, I ain't got no business telling him what to do. He ain't listening to me. And quivering the lips. Then Mama says this. You go out there and you tell him, I said, he better get his behind in this house. Because his behind don't get in his house, the next person he's going to see coming out this door is me. And when I come out this door, he's going to know I come out this door. All of a sudden, little Johnny that's quivering, he all of a sudden feels like he's the baddest man on the planet. He's walking out the house like this. What up, y'all? He walked blood still streaming down his face. He's walking out there. Hey, Jimmy! Hey! I dare you to hit me this time. Mama said... Get in this house right now. Because if your butt don't get in this house right now, mama said she the next person coming out the house. But when she come out the house, she coming with reinforcement and she going to tear your tail up. So come on over here and hit me because when I go back inside and tell mama you ain't coming, mama said she coming out. You know what little Jimmy does this time? All right, boys, I got to go home. My mama, my mama said, my mama said he grabbing his stuff, he running to the house. Why? He didn't care what Jimmy had to say. But when Johnny walked out the house this time, he came with a different name. Not his name. He came with a name higher, greater, because when Mama said she was coming, old Jimmy knew I better not play. That's, that name means something. Mama's coming. See, I believe in our day and hour talking about the spirit of black, I believe we've been too long trying to do things in our own ability, our own name. The devil ain't afraid of you. I hate to bust our bubbles, but the devil is not afraid of us. But he is afraid of that name up there on that screen. That's why we can sing, isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Isn't the name of Jesus, you know, uh, beautiful? Because there is a name. The Bible says there is a name in heaven, under heaven and earth, by which men must be saved. And at the name, not of me. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Christ. But I can't do it. I didn't die for you. He did. At his name, Jesus' name. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, demons have to flee, hell trembles. At Jesus' name. That's why little Johnny 
And little Jimmy hurried up and ran back to the house because Mama's name meant something. Because when Mama said she was coming, it changed the game. But can I tell you that God has given us that same ability? He says that you can walk in the same authority. He says greater works can you do than I do because of the Spirit of God that works in you. You just have to know how to apply the name properly. When the devil comes and he starts telling you all the things you can't do and what God can't do, that's when you look at him and says, but I'm not doing this on my own. My daddy said, Remember what, what the Apostle Paul says? He says, we, wherefore we have become sons of adoption, that we cry out, anybody? Abba, Father. Literally, like, translated, my dad, or, or translated to be a father figure. So when the devil comes, you literally can say, well, my dad said, I'm greater than he that's in the world. My dad says I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. My dad says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My dad says that I am able to do exceedingly abundantly above I can think or comprehend according to Christ Jesus that works with me. My dad said I can't do it, but my dad's got my back. My dad has my back. That's the only name we need. I love the fact that we don't have to get into a discussion or a dissertation with the devil. Devil starts coming, all you got to do is just start saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. I'll tell you some of the most effective prayers. I'm telling you, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to tell you, I was at a place one time, a little saint of God. She was a little short lady. She had one of them Pentecostals. She had a PhD, Pentecostal hairdo. She wasn't a doctor. She just had a Pentecostal hairdo. It was a PhD. Bees could fly through that thing. It was like right there. It was stuck. Now, sometimes when she'd shout, it got a little, little scary. Little things started flying out everywhere. She'd whip it out. You better, you better be in the spirit. You'd be playing, you know, like ducking at things. She's gone on to be with the Lord. She sat on the left-hand side of our church, where I was at at the time, by herself. I don't think I've ever heard this woman pray, actually a prayer, ever. Even to the day she died, I don't think I ever heard her pray. But I always knew. Because this is what would happen. She sat on the second row. I'm not going to sit on the second row. But she, she sat on the second row. She sat on the end just like this. She'd listen to service. We'd sing. She sat. You'd think, that's one rude lady. Pastor preach. She sat. Didn't say amen. Nothing. Every once in a while, you might get a whoo out of her. But that's about it. Nothing major. But there was one word that when she said it, it changed the dynamic of church. And this is what she'd do. God is my witness. She'd sit on that pew. Could it be in the song service? Could it be in the pastor's message? Sometimes in between both. She'd just be sitting there and you'd just start seeing her head do like this. Like she's agreeing. Hadn't got up from her seat yet, just doing this. Every once in a while, if you were close enough to her, you'd hear just, mmm. Mmm. And all of a sudden, she'd say it. And this is all she said every time. Mmm, Jesus. Mmm, mmm, Jesus. Woo, Jesus. Woo, Jesus. She never said nothing else. That's all she'd say. And about that time, she'd get up and she'd start feeling the Lord. She, woo, Jesus, Jesus. And then she'd start adding more Jesuses to it. The more Jesus she added, the stronger the Spirit of the Lord started feeling the house. She'd start, Jesus, Jesus, oh, Jesus, 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 oh, Jesus. And, and if you really got her going, she'd get up from her pew and she'd, old and frail, 
She'd grab the pew and she'd start walking slowly from the altar. Like, a, like old, some of y'all won't even know what it says, but in the Jericho march, you start walking around the church. And she never said nothing but this. That's all she'd say. Head down. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. And she walked, and everywhere she walked, it was like something followed her everywhere she went. I can't tell you what she and Jesus talked about during the week, but I can tell you when she showed up to church, when as soon as she said Jesus, somebody in heaven recognized the name, and it started following her. Because every time she said Jesus, Jesus was there. Every time she said Jesus, when she walked by, you felt Jesus. I'm here to tell you that for this church and for the surrounding communities that, that may hear this message, we don't need to figure out how to have the best singers, how to have the best preachers, how to put on the best program. We don't even have to have the nicest facility, the most paved parking lots or the easiest facility access to find. Only thing this world needs is for some men and women to realize we're not a decrepit church. We're not a depressed church. We're not an overcome church. We're not a defeated church. But we serve somebody that is a risen Savior. And if this world needs to know anything, they need to hear us say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You got a problem? Jesus. You got a need? Jesus. You need something? They need the world needs to know who Jesus is. Jesus, would you stand all over the house tonight? If there's ever been a day and an hour where we needed to utilize our resources, we are living in a day that we need to master the use of the name of Jesus. You know what's going to fix Washington? Not you (laughs) or me. In fact, I might get censored for saying this, but I mean, you don't even know if your vote counted. So, I mean, we don't really know if you're really even helping the cause. You might have you, you got a vote in, but your three great-grandparents that's dead in the cemetery voted too. We don't even know who they voted for. They wrote in when you didn't even know it. They sent theirs in by mail. Digitally, they went ahead and voted. Abraham Lincoln voted in this election. I'm sure that he really, I don't know what candidate he chose, but he voted. See, I, I, I can't fix Washington. Right now, they are arguing back and forth, even today, as earlier as today as I was looking, the unrest happening in Afghanistan. In fact, the Afghan president has fled from the capital city because of the Taliban insurrection, because we removed all our troops so they don't feel threatened anymore. And the president of Afghanistan has literally went into hiding. He has ran, he has fled the country, he's abandoned his post of duty. And he's just letting him have it because he's afraid of his life. Our world is in chaos. I'm here to tell you, it's getting worse by the day. I firmly believe that we look at the things that are happening in New York City. Don't think that can't happen here in the United States where you can't go. They don't even want you to go to church until you're vaccinated and can prove it. They don't want you to go anywhere. Listen, I'm not here to argue vaccines versus not vaccines. What I'm here to tell you is they're setting you up for the mark of the beast. You either comply or die. That's what they're asking you to do. Now, I'm not arguing. I'm not saying the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Don't you don't do walk out here and say, "Oh, Pastor said I don't need to get the vaccine." No, that's between you and God. I do firmly believe that everything in life should be a matter of choice, and you should have. You live in the United States. You should have a democracy of choice. You take it. That's fine. You don't, but you should be able to choose for yourself. Nobody should speak on your behalf for you. But they're setting you up, comply or die. Because if they can get the world to understand about this vaccine and force your hand to not be able to go eat, not be able to go to church, not be able to do anything until you do it, 
And there'll come a day they'll usher in the mark of the beast where you won't be able to buy, sell, do banking. I'm not saying this is the mark of the beast. I'm telling you they're setting up for the return of Christ. They're setting it up. One world governments. They're already trying to put the United States back into all the different coalitions that we moved ourselves from so we can all be one world again. One world government. If there's ever been a day we needed that name, we need the name of Jesus today. You know what's going to fix Washington? Not you or me. Jesus. You know what's going to fix the church? Not me. Not this praise team. Not these great musicians. We might put on a good program, a good worship set for you, and you might enjoy our worship. We give to God. Great. You know what? That ain't going to do nothing without Jesus. I could get up here and have studied for six years one message and have every Greek and Hebrew language word of origin and give it to you and make it have a PhD in theology and give it all to you. You know what? But if it doesn't have in the mix, I just gave you a good seminar. You went to college class. You didn't go to church. You went to a seminar. You know the difference is between a seminar and a sermon? Jesus, a seminar tells you what I know. A sermon tells you what he already said. That's the difference. You leave this place today, when I pray for you, when you leave this place today, I want you to this week utilize that name. You walk into the nursing home to see your loved ones. You walk into the places you need to go this week, jobs or wherever you may. Whenever the devil comes, he just stresses you out a little bit. Don't walk around like you're defeated. Just, just, just say that. You ain't even got to pray. Just walk around. Like I said about that little sin you're saying, just walk around and be like, Jesus, Jesus. You know, cashier at Walmart's getting on your nerves. Just stand right there and go, oh, Jesus. Because it'll help you keep your sanctification, I promise you. You just, Jesus. Lord, you know what she has need of, but Lord Jesus. Jesus. You go to get your lunch this week at Zaxby's or Brar. McDonald's or Hardee's or wherever and you realize they're not Chick-fil-A and they don't know how to do it properly because they take four years to make it because Chick-fil-A is God's chicken so it's done right. Come on. They the best host- They need to start helping churches learn how to park cars. Those people can move people in and out faster than anybody I've ever seen in my life and it's right. They have the favor of the Lord resting upon them. You know, that's the truth. You remember a couple years ago when Popeye's thought they were so smart with a chicken sandwich. God sent Hurricane Dorian on by to knock that all out the wind because we all argued about you. See, they better stop messing with God's chicken. That'll mess them up real quick. But the point to be made, when you're out there and you're stressed, that lady's being rude to you. Your food's taking forever. Maybe the husband or the wife's getting on your nerves. I know none of y'all get on each other's nerves. I only get on Brianna's nerves, but I'm just preaching to myself right now. When that happens, just say, Jesus. Lord, you know what Marion's going through on his job. Jesus, just help him today. I know he's stressed. You know, God, I, I know I know Gil is just not feeling his best. But God, I put him in your hands, Jesus. I know Dale's not feeling her best day. She's in pain. You just sit in that chair, Brother Dennis. You don't even have to say nothing. You just go, hey, God, you know what she needs. Jesus. I plead Jesus over her. I plead Jesus. For the Brenda Burbages of the world or Sister Ann Krause or others whose spouses may not be able to attend church with them. You go in that house. You don't have to take the Bible and beat them over the head. You sit in the chair and just under your breath just go, you know Jesus. 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 Because demons flee, hell shudders. But I'm telling you just like that senior saint, when you say it enough, 
He'll show up because he answers his name when we call on the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I have done the very best of my ability to preach your word today to the people of God. Father, as we get ready to leave this place and go to and fro our humble abode of destinations, God, let us go walking in the power of the name of Jesus. Father, we know that you have a name that has been given above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every one of us one day will have to confess that you are God. You are the Son of God to the glory of God the Father. I just want you to know, God, that we firmly still believe in the name of Jesus. So when we leave this place, we go to our places of rest and respite, and we go to our jobs, our families, or our communities tomorrow. Let us walk in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you the glory and honor that's due your name. Before we're dismissed, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Ertz, we're going to pray our benedictory prayer, and immediately following, you can consider yourselves dismissed. God bless you.